You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Hakan Svedhim. He's from the European Space Agency. We're going to be talking about the Trace Gas Orbiter. Um, he's a project scientist on it. So, Hakan, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm all fine. Yeah. Well, tell me, what is the uh, the Trace Gas Orbiter? What's the, the premise of the um, of the instrument and the whole project? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a big beast of a spacecraft. It's, uh, it's uh, about 3.7 tons and... Uh, it uh, was originally foreseen to be a communication orbit of a rover that we're going to, lo- to launch in uh, next summer. But um, we have a very nice set of uh, advanced instruments on board. So the main objective of the whole ExoMars project, of which uh, the trace gas orbit is, is, is the first element, is to find out if there has ever or is even today any kind of life on, on Mars and the you're thinking then about uh, life on a microbial level under the surface of Mars, because uh, we know that uh, on the surface of Mars it's very difficult for life to uh, to survive because of the very harsh environment, uh, strong radiation of UV light from the sun that uh, that basically kills all kind of life on the on the longer term. It sterilizes uh, life. So uh, we have a. Uh, four four advanced instruments on board. We have two two spectrometers that um, uh, are extremely sensitive. Uh, we have a camera uh, in color, and it can make stereo images. It can also provide uh, 3D landscapes. And we have um, also an instrument that looks for water subsurface in the in the first meter or so depths uh, underground. We can determine where the water water is located, and so making global scale global maps uh, of the water concentration. How, how are you able to tell if water is there below the surface up to a depth of a meter? Is it quite Does, um, do things off gas um, out of the surface slowly or? No, uh, it, it's using a very uh, advanced principle. Uh, we have a, a kind of radiation which you call cosmic cosmic rays. That is uh, a radiation that exists everywhere in space. Uh, consists of very highly energetic particles that. Uh, uh, that flies uh, all across space. Uh, on Earth, we have a, a, a quite a thick atmosphere, so um, these particles are are stopped by the Earth's atmosphere. But Mars has a very thin atmosphere, so these uh, cosmic rays they can actually put, pe- uh, penetrate the atmosphere and they go down into the subsurface uh, of Mars, and then they hit hit the nucleus of of of, of an atom, and uh, they kick out the uh, neutrons from these uh, atoms. And those neutrons are, are absorbed or or uh, or um, affected by the water in the subsurface, and then eventually these neutrons will leak up into space, and that's where we detect them. And we can then, by looking at the 
at uh, how these neutrons look like, we can determine how much water there is in this first meter of subsurface. So when a cosmic ray strikes a water molecule, does it liberate neutrons from the water molecule or does it change some of the protons in the water molecule into neutrons and then they're liberated? It's not that I necessarily... Um, the, the the cosmic rays uh, can hit any any kind of uh, atom uh, nucleus uh, in the subsurface, and they are kicking out neutrons. And these neutrons are then interacting with the, with the water molecules, or actually the they interact with the with the nucleus of the hydrogen in the water uh, molecule, uh, and uh, they are slowing slowing them down. They're absorbing some of their energy. So that's how it works. And then we see the energy they have when they come up back to the spacecraft, and and then we can determine how much water there is. Also, in places that have underground water, you'll see a much slower or lower energy emission of neutrons from that area. Yes, exactly. That's that. That's what we can see. We can see now that uh, we know, of course, around the poles we have uh, we have quite plenty of uh, of water. It's, done, uh, it's, a, it's a form of uh, permafrost in the in the subsurface, and uh, we knew that already before. Uh, now we have seen that there is. Uh, uh, actually, water also in areas closer to the equator, and that's quite puzzling because, uh, in principle, uh, water should not be stable there. That should should have disappeared uh, throughout uh, the lifetime of the planet. But we find uh, on several places in in quite a sort of irregular pattern, even even uh, water down to uh, very low latitudes, even even uh, around the equatorial level. So we think that is not water in the in the normal way as ice or. Um, <coughs> Or it's liquid water, definitely not. But we think they are uh, actually water molecules that have been uh, absorbed by other molecules, and they are so-called uh, hydrated minerals. So some minerals can actually take on a couple of uh, water molecules and keep them there. But uh, that can be liberated, that water, also with, with different methods. So it's very important that we have found this. Well, how does this correlate to um, insinuating that there may be life with life exists near these hydrates and maybe consume the water or do you think it would only exist at the poles or where could it exist and why yeah it's it's, it's hard to tell really the fact that we do see water is uh, doesn't mean that there is life of course or, or even that there has been life but uh, it's 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 rather so that uh, if there is no water it's very difficult for life to uh, to to sustain uh, in these areas so uh, so the fact that we see water it means that it's a good place to search for life that's what we're trying to do. Well, let's say you find it, you know, near the equator like you have. What's the next step? How do you look for signatures that life was once there or perhaps is still there? Yeah, exactly. One of the things we do is, is that we use other two other instruments on, on board the spacecraft. These are the spectrometers. Um, they are analyzing the composition of the, of the gases in the atmosphere. And uh, one um, gas that is very interesting and related to life is methane because... Uh, we knew that on the Earth there is uh, there's quite a significant amount of methane in in the atmosphere, and uh, the, the 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 vast majority of that uh, methane, uh, more than 95% of it, has actually been produced by living organisms. And um, um, a couple of years back, there were indications that there actually uh, is methane on Mars today, and that's quite puzzling because methane on Mars should have a very short lifetime, a couple of hundred years only, and then it should be destroyed by uh, by the solar radiation uh, in particular. And um, uh, the fact that we see it today means that it has to be continuously re resupplied. Uh, so that was a, 
very good reason to start searching for methane. Now, these very sensitive instruments we have uh, on, on board the Trace Gas Orbiter are so sensitive, so you can find, you can pick out one uh, one molecule of methane among uh, more than 10 billion molecules of, of something else. In particular, in this case, it is carbon dioxide. And, and 10, 10 billion uh, molecules, that's, that's uh, one with 10 zeros after it. And it's it's an amazing sensitivity we have. But still, with that sensitivity, we see no signs of methane at all. And that's really a, a puzzling uh, piece of news that we have discovered because we thought we would see it because these previous measurements uh, had indicated that. Now, of course, these measurements have been really on the limit of sensitivity. So uh, so it's, it has been a tough measurements uh, to do. Uh, so now we have to find out how can this be? Uh, were there really positive detections in the past and now just a few years later we, we have nothing and we cannot explain how that happened because uh, the lifetime of, of, of the meeting should at least be uh, uh, more than this time so we cannot explain why it has disappeared so um, that's uh, it's quite a puzzle we have now to solve now of course i have to say also that uh, the fact that we don't have methane right now on uh, on um, on mars does not mean that there is necessarily new life because not all organism, living organisms produces methane. So, so that's uh, that's a different thing, and that's what we're going to investigate with uh, our rover that's going to be launched uh, next summer. Uh, it will arrive in uh, in March uh, in 2021 to Mars, and then we will drive around. And we will we have a, a drill, and we will drill down to a depth of about two meter, and and on this drill going down, we'll do this on, on many different places that we have. Handpicked to be be challenging and, and interesting for the purpose of finding indications of, of past or present life. So we'll take up these drill cores that we drill out and uh, analyze them on board this little rover, and send back all the data to the Earth, of course. So that's uh, that's the next step of this uh, project. What's it like um, near the surface of, of Mars and below the surface? Is it very quiet? Is there much chemistry going on? Much mixing? Is it or is it really like a dead uh, planet and there's not much going on at all? Well, um, it, it's maybe not so active as the Earth, but we, we do think it is it is active in, in particular in, in, in some reasons, where some regions where we have uh, uh, we have uh, uh, cracks and we can have uh, uh, gases leaking out from from uh, inside. Uh, we have not seen any any direct evidences of, of volcanism, but we have indications that there is uh, some sort of uh, life uh, subsurface, and uh, I mean I mean geological life, not not uh, not um, not biological life. But this is what we will be looking for, of course. Um, in particular, in the, around the equatorial area, that's where we have a, a large variation uh, day to night temperature. Of course, uh, it's a very thin atmosphere, so in the daytime it gets Heated up quite quite a lot, and in the nighttime it becomes very very cold. So um, there is a large uh, stress on on the surface from all these temperature changes uh, on a daily basis. Um, so that's uh, that's where we see things happening really. We also have uh, weather on Mars where things are changing, and we have winds uh, on Mars. Uh, we have uh, um, occasionally uh, with some years interval uh, dust storms that. Uh, build up become so big that we call them global dust storms and they can be seen all the way from the earth even with a telescope because uh, in a normal case we can see mars we have dark areas we have bright areas and we recognize these regions from from the maps of, of mars that have been produced 
uh, but but during these global dust storm, storms, everything is just uh, um, in 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 this in this uh, sort of um, dusty, uh, opaque uh, cloud, and we don't see anything of the surface at all. And that can, can continue like that for a couple of months, and um, they, they are quite violent these dust storms. Uh, so so by no means Mars is a dead planet completely. How much of uh, the surface are you looking at with the trace gas orbiter? Are you staying focused in a very small area near the equator, or are you able to orbit in such a way where you can look over the whole planet? Yes, we we have a, an orbit which is uh, 400 kilometers above the surface. It's a circular orbit, and the orbital plane is tilted such that we can go up to a latitude of 74 degrees and and uh, south 74 degrees. And all this region in between, we can we can scan with our instruments. Uh, we don't really go right over the poles, but we we see sort of the edges of the polar caps, and and that's uh, that's enough for the for the purpose of what what we are working on with this uh, with, with this instrument. So we will we will get the global map um, of uh, of several features, what is in the atmosphere, and also of course on the surface, both with the camera and with this neutron spectrometer that determines the water content. Um, but we are also um, also looking for, um, uh, shall I say, the, um, um, the the places that we are going to investigate with our rover uh, in in 2021 when it arrives. Um, we have selected this uh, this place now. It's called Oxia Planum, where we are going to land with the rover. We are trying now to characterize the surroundings of that area as, as much as we can with these instruments. To uh, to make a really a good job when we search for uh, for this drill course that we're going to uh, to take out from several places of different kind of uh, terrain, but of course the rover will not be able to drive all over the planet. So uh, we do the global studies with the uh, with the spacecraft around the around the planet, and we do the local studies with the rover on the surface. And you talked about vast temperature differences. So what's the um, day versus night temperature differences, and then you know, near the equator versus near the poles. What are you going yes, to experience? We, yeah, we we have a, a temperature of, of of on the on the equator in the daytime can go up to uh, to around zero degrees Celsius and maybe even a bit bit higher than that. But normally, uh, the 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 average temperature is, is is much less than that. And during night times, it can go down to below uh, or even close to minus hundred degrees Celsius. So it's very cold in the nighttime, and particularly in the pole areas. Uh, the interesting thing with Mars, uh, uh, for example, if you compare it to to Venus, is that Mars has a tilt of its rotation axis uh, very similar to that of the Earth. That means that also Mars has seasons. So you have winter and summer, while while other planets where you don't have this tilt don't really have uh, big season variations. But uh, this season variation you can also see by uh, by the fact that the polar caps, which are um, which are um, deposits of of frozen carbon dioxide, so sort of dry ice and uh, and water ice, and they are moving from one pole to the next pole. So they are building up in the winter in the in the north when it's the northern winter, and then they are shrinking in the south in the northern winter, which is the southern summer. So then you can see these these um, patches, these big Big patches of of, of the poles uh, are going from south to north, or from north from north to south in 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 the period then of of about two Earth years, because it takes two years for Mars to orbit the Sun. So a year on Mars is actually nearly twice as long as a year on Mar- uh, on the Earth. Okay, so um, 
the sun facing part of Mars, um, how much of a temperature difference is there versus the uh, the non-sun facing side because of the tilt or the uh, you know the hemisphere that's tilted towards it versus the hemisphere it's not. Yeah, it can be up to 100 degrees uh, difference. That may be a bit extreme. Maybe it's more like 70 degrees, but uh, it can be a very large difference. Well, what about the uh, the trace gas orbiter itself? It'll be exposed to more extreme temperatures, I would think, because again, being between the Sun and Mars, and then between the, on the other side of Mars, between Mars yeah. and uh, you know the rest of space. Exactly. Of course, we have we have built it to be able to cope with those those differences. So we have uh, we have certain uh, sides of the spacecraft which are built to face the sun, and we have certain uh, sides of the spacecraft that are built to to face Mars. And um, at the same time, of course, we need to make sure that our solar panels are are pointing towards the sun, so we can get our power from that. Um, then, of course, we get uh, every orbit we get into the shadow behind the planet, so we have no sun then. And then, of course, the spacecraft cools down a little bit, but uh, the orbital period is only two hours. So all these temperatures averages out uh, approximately to a, to a constant uh, temperature, which uh, which is not too uh, not too different from the temperature we have on the Earth. And that's uh, it has, of course, been explicitly designed to do that. So we have a temperature uh, inside the spacecraft of, of maybe about plus ten degrees, approximately, and. Um, that is because we are using different kinds of materials on the on the outside skin. So where we where we have uh, the sun on those sides, we have a very reflective material uh, to reflect away most of the sunshine and the heat from the sun. And when we have where we have a dark side, uh, when we're facing a dark side, we have a, a material that is more absorbing what is coming in. So to keep a, a constant stable uh, temperature on board. So what's the end goal of this mission? Just to do a um... A detailed mapping of where water is, you know, on the planet in this uh, in this orbital band, or is there more to it than that? No, uh, the, the 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 end goal of of the whole project, if you talk about the ExoMars project, which of which uh, Trace Gas Orbit is, is is just the first part, is actually determine if there is or has been any form of life on on the planet. Uh, and we can of course break down those objectives into into smaller. Uh, pieces and and uh, one of those pieces is of course to to determine the the trace gases uh, what kind of uh, a, a trace gas is a gas we have um, classified as being having having a concentration of less than 1% in 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 the martian atmosphere um there are many many different type of gases we we can find at at small concentrations uh, so we're going to characterize those where are they um how do they change with season uh, how are they distributed over the planet in latitude and in altitude? And how do they change over season? And uh, so that's one of the objectives. Another objective is to characterize the, the surface, and that that we we do with the camera. Partly, we are making uh, images uh, in stereo, so we can synthesize 3D landscapes. Uh, we can see if we see some area where we have some uh, specific, uh, interesting uh, gas emission. Uh, we, we study those areas in uh, more in detail to try to find out uh, why it is or, or, or what could be reason for the, for these uh, gas emissions if we would find that and then of course we have this fourth instrument that, uh, that where the objective is indeed to search for subsurface water so okay what, what are the other components of the Exmos um, mission you're looking for water you're looking for you're using the rover um, did you describe everything where there are more components yeah on, in the on, 
That's right. On on the rover, we are we are making this uh, uh, drill cores that we take up, and we we are crushing these uh, these uh, these uh, rocks that we take up, and we put them into analysis where we do chemical analysis and we do uh, um, mineralogical analysis and and microscopic analysis. We do all kind of uh, uh, analysis on those uh, samples. Uh, on the rover with with a large, I think we have 14 instruments on on the rover that will do investigations of different kinds on these samples. Uh, we also have a uh, an instrument that is uh, probing the 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 ground we are driving over to see if there are voids. It's a sort of a ground penetrating radar. That one is very important to determine where we were going to use our drill and where we can drive safely. Of course, we have a large number of different type of cameras. Uh, on board to make sure that we do proper navigation and, and uh, make the drilling in the most interesting places. So, so the rover has a large set of instruments. And there is also a, a, a third element here, which is what we call the landing platform, um, which is built by, by, uh, by our Russian colleagues because the whole ExoMars program is, is a joint uh, collaboration between um, uh, Russia and uh, ESAM. And uh, the, the Russians building a landing platform, which also has a large number of instruments uh, on board. That's why we'll be stationary. We're actually sitting on that landing platform while we enter into the atmosphere and, and go down in parachute. And then the retro rockets are slowing us down and landing. And then once we have landed on the surface, we will drive off this landing platform down onto the surface. So altogether, we have more than uh, 20 instruments uh, with the landing platform and the rover. When will the mission? be fulfilled and um, what's the consequence of either finding or not finding life there? How long until it's done? Yeah, of course. Um, if you if you find life, then you have found life. If you don't find it, uh, we probably have to try again because uh, it, there's no evidence that there is no life just because we don't find it. Of course, if you do find it and, and there are still strong evidence, of course, it would be quite a revolutionary finding because that would be the first, the first time uh, some sort of life form would be found. On, on anywhere outside the Earth, so that would be a be a dramatic thing. But even if you don't find uh, life uh, forms existing, or even evidences of, of past life form, we will learn a, a lot from these uh, things we do. Um, the lifetime for the rover is uh, is of the order of uh, of of a bit a bit more than uh, and half a year, uh, Earth year. Um, and we will uh, do uh, several measurements during this, those uh, days uh, when we are on the surface. But it could, of course, well be that uh, the rover is uh, surviving more than this design lifetime, and then we would, uh, we would continue operating. And um, our trace gas orbiter probably will, uh, will have a much longer life. We, are, we have plenty of fuel on board that we can operate as long as nothing breaks down for, uh, for more than 10 years in orbit. And this is important also for future projects because um, we are working as a, as a relay orbiter. So all the data from the rover, and uh, that includes also the NASA rover, the, the Curiosity rover, and um, the InSight platform that was uh, landing uh, on Mars in uh, uh, just before, uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, we are taking data from these uh, landers and uh, sending it back to the Earth. And for future uh, landers that will come, we will also continue doing communication for. Are there similar missions planned to uh, any other planets in our solar system, or is this more than enough? Well, I wouldn't say it's more than enough. Uh, the more, the better. But um, 
but uh, Mars is, uh, I shouldn't say easy, but it is easier than, than other planets. Another very interesting planet to, uh, in order to understand the evolution of, of, of uh, the planets of the solar system is Venus, because it's in a way like a twin twin of the Earth in terms of size and, uh, and, and, and composition, even though now Venus has evolved into a very different uh, place than the Earth, but it's very hot on the, on the surface of Venus, so it's very difficult to, to go down there. It's actually so warm that you would, you would have some lead where you solder your electronics components together, the lead would melt. So that's very challenging. And then, on the other hand, you can think about going further out in the solar system. Uh, also, you have uh, big difficulties because there, first of all, the, the sun becomes much weaker. So you have problems to getting electricity enough and uh, problems to keeping the spacecraft uh, warm enough. Uh, so, so Mars is maybe, apart from the moon, and of course, uh, the, the first place to go to because it's, it's easier. Yeah, and I know there was a mission to Mercury, but that takes years, like seven years, because uh, you have to slow the spacecraft down multiple times coming off of the Earth. So it's weird that it's not that far away, but it takes so long to get there because of that. Yeah, that, that's 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 correct. It's uh, it's, it's it's very hot there, of course. Uh, Mercury does not have an atmosphere, but um, um, so on the sun sunlit <clears throat> part of Mercury is very very hot, and also just being in an orbit around Mercury is very very hot. Uh, while on the on the on the non on the on the dark side of Mercury, it's, it's actually very cold. So, so Mercury even has a uh, even more variation day to night than, than Mars has. But on the other hand, Mercury rotates much, much slower. A day on Mercury is much longer than on Mars. But uh, because of that, it's very difficult to, to land uh, on Mars. So Pepe so Colombo will not have an, any lander with it. There were discussions in the beginning of that project to build a, to build a rover that would uh, land on, on Mercury. But uh, we had to, to postpone that due to cost reasons. It would be too expensive. It's not impossible, but it's it's very very expensive. We have, of course, also plans okay. for going and land on uh, on other um, other uh, bodies of the solar system. For example, uh, Europa, which is a <clears throat> which is a moon of uh, of, of uh, Jupiter, uh, is another interesting place. That is, of course, very cold, but um, it we, we believe there is a, a subsurface ocean below the ice of of Europa. So that's another interesting thing place to to go to in the future. So if people want to get more information about, you know, everything that's going on on Mars from ESA, what's the best place for them to go? Uh, we have a website, uh, which is uh, esa.int, for international, uh, slash uh, exomars. And from there, you can navigate to to the different uh, pieces of information for the exomars project. But also on the, on the first front page, uh, esa.int, uh, you can navigate to... Uh, to the different science missions we have and also to the manned spacecraft activities we have and all the other things we are doing. We're developing uh, launchers, rockets, and uh, also telecom spacecraft, a lot of Earth observations activities. So you can find everything on esa.int. Well, very good. And then one last probably silly question, but the movie The Martian, I don't know if you saw it, and if you did, is it at all representative of, of Mars in any way? I did see it, and I and I really like it. It's uh, in in many cases it's it's very representative. And I think there's there's maybe only one or two things that may not be so representative. This this very heavy storm in 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 the beginning, uh, it it doesn't uh, appear like that on Mars because of the thin of the thin atmosphere. Um, you you actually need a, a ten times stronger wind 
on Mars to generate the same effect uh, as we have on Earth. So, so if you have a, if you imagine like a like a, a very strong wind on Earth, it would be maybe 10 meters per second of wind or more, would correspond then to 100 meters of second, uh, 100 meters per second of, of wind on on Mars, and 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 that's very very unusual with these kind of strong winds. So, so we. Uh, um, that you don't easily uh, blow somebody uh, uh, over so he will fall down because of the wind or big structures. They will stand quite stably on, on Mars. But many other things were quite quite realistic, I think. So uh, it was a nice film. Well, very cool. Well, Hakan, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was nice talking to you. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.